everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, fellow travelers. I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy advice column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists. Each week, we invite you into a session so you can learn more about yourself by hearing how we help other people come to understand themselves better and make changes in their lives. So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, a single woman deals with shame about getting a late start in dating and sex. I guess I'm afraid to get into a relationship in a sense because then people ask you like about your history and it's embarrassing one to be 53 and single. You know, when you mention that to people, they're always like shocked. And I've had people say, oh gosh, what's wrong with you? First, a quick note. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical or psychological advice, and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical or psychological condition. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our fellow travelers. Hey, Guy. Hi, Lori. So I think we have a really interesting letter today. It goes like this. Dear therapist, I'm 53 years old and I have never been married and have no children. I didn't have a boyfriend until I was 32 and lost my virginity with him when I was 32. We dated for four years. It was not a good relationship. Since then, I've had a few relationships, but nothing lasting. I feel a lot of shame and embarrassment over this. So much so that I think I avoid dating, so I don't have to share this with anyone. I even feel embarrassed putting it in writing to you. It actually makes me wince. And I feel like such a loser admitting that I didn't have a boyfriend until I was 32 and was a virgin until then, too. It just makes me want to run and hide. I feel like it's a dirty secret I carry around with me. I'm very lonely and feel this shame or secret is holding me back from entering into the loving, adult, intimate relationship I crave. Can you help me get over or work through this shame I feel? Thank you, Lauren. Well, I feel really bad for Lauren just because shame is such a toxic feeling. Shame means that we feel really bad about who we are as a person. You know, guilt is about an action. Shame is about who you are. And so to feel so bad fundamentally about who she is for decades, 
I'm glad she wrote, and I really hope we can help her. I'm so glad she wrote, too, because shame prevents people from getting the things that they want in life. What it does is it makes them hide. They feel like they can't show the truth of who they are to anybody, that they are fundamentally unlovable. And so I think what she's got here is not just an issue around she didn't have sex until she was 32, and that's her big secret, but it's also this question of she didn't have love. And what the shame does is it prevents her from finding the love that she wants. And it's prevented her from doing that, interestingly, even after she had sex and had a relationship, it didn't free her up enough. That shame was so deep that it continued even after. So I would really be interested in finding out why, what happened that that shame is so deep. Yeah, let's go talk to her. Yeah. You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapists. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. So hi, Lauren. Hi, Lori. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So we would like to hear a little bit more of these feelings that you've had about not dating until a later age or about being a virgin until a later age. Can you tell us a little bit of the dating history? I dated a little. In my 20s, not very much. I think I dated more, but just very casual, never a boyfriend. When I was in Spain, I studied abroad. Maybe I think I started dating more. I probably felt more free there. And I dated, but I never got involved with anyone seriously. Just kissed and made out, really nothing more than that. Then I dated like a few people. And then when I was 32, I met this guy 
and we started dating and he was the first one that I had sex with and my first like real boyfriend, maybe second real boyfriend. Okay. Who's the maybe first real boyfriend? A guy that I met through work. I think he was probably a little bit more into me than I was into him, but because of his uh, religious differences, he didn't want to continue dating me because it was a matter of, a matter of like my converting <laughs> to his right. way of thinking and to, to religion. I'm wondering about this person that you met when you were 32. So you said you dated a little bit in Spain and then you dated some other people. Nothing really much went anywhere. What was it about this person that made you think, I want to be in a relationship with him and I want to have sex with him? (laughs) Well, I guess whether or not I wanted to be in a relationship with him, I think maybe in part I was kind of desperate at that point and he seemed like a decent guy and we like to do a lot of the same things. And as far as the sex, I made him wait for a while. Why? I don't know. I guess some a friend of mine said, you can't quite trust him. And I don't know. I guess I just put it off. I don't really know that I was scared. I don't think I was scared. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I guess that's, I, I think I just, maybe it was a matter of trust with him that I made him wait. You said you were desperate. You used that word. Do you mean desperate to be in a relationship or desperate to lose your virginity? What do you mean by that? Probably both. I really wanted a boyfriend and obviously I, you know, like really wanted to have sex too. And I think, you know, he came at a time and I was like, wow, you know, I maybe I felt it's been a while now, but maybe I felt like it was now or never and that he seemed like an okay guy. And also in thinking back, I wonder if like I felt that he wasn't going to demand a lot of me emotionally So maybe I kind of felt safe with him in a sense, although I did tell him that he was my first boyfriend and that I was a virgin until that point. How did he react to that information that you shared with him? I think he was a little surprised, but he didn't really say, oh, my God, why? Nothing. I I don't really think he had much of a reaction other than that. You said that you thought he wouldn't demand too much of you emotionally. What do you mean? When Laurie asked what was his reaction, I really didn't think he would say, really, Lauren, why? Like, why haven't you been involved in relationships until now? Like, what's going on? So I think that he's not going to dig any deeper into reasons why, where I think somebody else might have, you know, maybe questioned me on it. So he was safe because you knew that he would collude with you in not having to talk about something that felt very shameful to you. I think so. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you were raised. Like, what were the values around sex and dating in your household when you were growing up or a teenager? What was the messaging around sex and especially, you know, women and sex? So, well, I'll start off by saying my dad died when I was nine, Hmm. and my mom never dated anyone after that. I think one of the reasons my mom never dated anybody after that is because she was overweight, and I think she was really ashamed of that and just felt overwhelmed by it. And she had five kids that she was left to raise on her own. And, you know, I just think she looked at that as that this is what I'm going to do 
and never bothered to date. And my mom, as far as dating and sex, I think was almost like my mom did not want me to date. I will say that. I think because I'm the baby. I was the baby of the family. And my other two sisters, they dated. They had boyfriends young. My one sister got married when she was 18. But with me, it was kind of like a different story that she did not want me to have boyfriends. She really didn't want me to have a lot of friends either. But she definitely did not want me to date. And as far as sex, she really never said anything about sex. She was kind of embarrassed of and talking about it with me when I would ask her stuff. But I never got the idea of like, oh, sex was dirty. Nothing like that. She just didn't talk about it. She didn't think it was appropriate. What was your understanding of the different standards she had for you? Like you shouldn't date or even have that many friends versus your sisters who were clearly dating if they were getting married so young. I didn't understand it, especially... When I was going through it and was really young, it just seemed very unfair to me. She did not want me to go out and socialize. There was a dance in in junior high that I really worked hard on. And I was expected to be there by my teacher. And my mother would not let me go. Did your mom tell you when you said, you know, I worked on this and I'm expected to be there? What was your mom's explanation for why she didn't want you to go? I cannot remember. I just know she said, no, I just wasn't going to go. I don't really think she gave much of an explanation because I know I I pestered her as to why. You know, she used to say because I said so a lot. So I'm guessing she probably said something like that. You're saying she didn't want me to have that many friends either. What was the reason for that? I think, you know, as an adult now and looking back, I think that took away my time from her. I think she kind of like used me as like, almost like a companion in a sense. And one of my uncles actually commented that, like when I moved out, finally. Finally being what age? 30. Yeah. She didn't have anybody and I wanted to help take care of her, but I decided to move out. So how much do you think it might be related to the fact that she was giving you these messages from a very young age. Look, your dad's not around. It's just me. I'm sacrificing everything for you, five kids, because I'm not dating anymore. I'm just raising you. And you, Lauren, the youngest, you should at least stay around and keep me company as a thank you or or take care of me a little bit. How much do you think that played in to your feelings in your teens and 20s about the fact that if you date and have sex, it will take you away And you'll be betraying your mom's wishes, really. I'm not sure. I mean, my mom never came out and said, you know, you you owe me this or, you know, you need to stay at home. Oh, but you felt it. Yeah, I did feel it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure it played a role. Another thing that came into play was my sister, who's two years older than me. She's very pretty. And cousins and aunts and people at school and people that knew us would always say, my gosh, your sister is so much prettier than you. It must be really hard to have for you to have a sister that's so much prettier than you. So I heard that a lot and people wanting to fix her up with people and not me. So I just kind of got this message that, geez, I just, there's something wrong with me. Yeah, we can hear that in your letter, that there's a sense of feeling like you're unlovable. And what you're describing are two things. One is you're describing what we call a parentified child. So often this happens when a parent dies and one of the children 
is expected to sort of fulfill that role somehow for the remaining parent. Your mom didn't date, so she didn't have companionship, but she had you. She didn't want you to socialize. She didn't want you to have friends. She didn't want you to leave her in whatever way that might have been. And in fact, you stayed there until you were 30. Even if she didn't say, I need you to do this, you felt her need. You worried about her loneliness. You worried about the fact that she didn't have anybody, but you weren't focused on the fact that you were lonely and you didn't have anybody. And then you got this other message. Well, your sister's so pretty. And so it's sort of like a perfect storm where it makes sense that you would have all kinds of confusion around your desires, your needs, and your lovability all at the same time. And that's where shame comes in. It sounds like you have so much shame around who you are, what your past is. And what struck me so much was when I asked you, why did you pick that person at 32? And you described yourself as, well, I was desperate. I wasn't really sure I trusted him. I wasn't really sure I liked him that much. That you were sort of just going for whoever would take you as opposed to going for who you truly wanted to be with. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think I've done that with almost everybody else that I've dated since then. What made you move out at 30? What happened at that point? There wasn't like some kind of defining event or anything. It was just, this is it. I have to move out on my own. If I ever want to have any kind of adult life or adult relationship, I have to separate myself from my mom because she's not doing me any favors. How did your mom react when you told her that you had made the decision to move out? She was really pissed off for a few days. And I think the day that I moved, then the next day she was fine. Fine. I think my maybe my uncle talked to her and said, you know, look, she deserves to be on her own. And he's the one who had commented before that, you know, she sees you as a companion because she doesn't have anybody. Lauren, when you say that you stayed with her till you were 30 and that doing that really cost you in terms of your own independence, your ability to pursue in your own life and certainly your own relationships. And then at 30, you finally say to her, I, I need to move on with my own life. And her response is to get pissed off. What that tells me is that even if she didn't verbalize this to you directly, the edict of your role, Lauren, is to be here with me and keep me company and be my companion and to prioritize my needs over yours. And I think that that edict is something that you took in so strongly that it really delayed your ability to start life until you were 30 years old instead of starting it at 18 or before or 20 or something like that. So there was a huge delay there. And what's interesting, or unfortunate rather, is that to me, and I think to Laurie, that's so clear that you were staying out of loyalty, out of love for your mom. But what registered for you at the time was that you were staying because you're unlovable and because, you know, you're not as pretty as your sister. And so you're going to have a hard time finding someone to love you and to want to have sex with you. That's what really got engraved almost into your own head and not, 
I'm staying out of loyalty. I'm staying for all these noble reasons. In your head, it got interpreted into I'm staying because of shameful ones. If you're asking if that's correct, I, I think it probably, probably is, although I didn't realize it at the time. And yeah, I must have been scared or, like you said, probably ashamed. But also, I was afraid of her reaction. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to flip out. Why were you so afraid of her reaction? You were afraid that what would happen if she got upset with you? I guess that she wouldn't talk to me for maybe a week or so. <laughs> Not that she had ever done that before. My mom wasn't one to give the silent treatment or anything. I was afraid that she would get mad at me. And also my mom was like bad off like physically. She had a lot of trouble getting around. So she depended on me to help her. So even after I moved out, like I would go over and fix dinner all the time for her. And she never once after that said anything about me moving out. How did she feel about you having the boyfriend? She liked him okay. When we first started dating, she would get mad. She, she made comments to my sister that I might as well just go ahead and marry this guy because I'm just spending all my time with him. And I assumed she thought I was having sex or assumed I was. She didn't like it. She didn't like that you were having sex in your 30s? Yeah, yeah. Oh. She, she didn't think it was appropriate because I wasn't married. And this came up with another guy after that. To which I responded, well, do you want me to be a virgin until I die? You know, like, what if I never get married? <laughs> and her response to that was? Yes, please. Okay, joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, like, just something like, you know. The first thing that you said, though, was she commented, well, you're just spending all your time with him. She is very upset when you don't spend time with her. And you're kind of saying, well, no, she wouldn't do that. No, she's not a person who gets upset about these things. She is incredibly upset about any bid for independence that you make. And I'm wondering when you went to Spain and I think it was in your 20s, and that's when you started dating, what was her reaction to that? Well, she did not want me to go and study abroad, <laughs> as you can probably guess. We're shocked. 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 <laughs> But I was set on it. I'm like, I'm going, you know, too bad. So my aunt was like, oh, this is a great thing. You know, I'm really happy. You should be happy once it was determined that I was going. But she was very upset. She was crying. When you described that time in Spain earlier, you said, you know, you were in Spain. You started dating. You, you kissed some guys. And then you said, but it never went anywhere. I wonder if part of the reason it didn't go anywhere is because there you are in Spain and there's a part of you that says, I really want this. I need this. I am an adult and I am in my 20s. And this is something I really enjoy. And there's another part of you that said, but you're betraying your mother. And I have a feeling that that's why nothing ever went anywhere. That the minute you started to experience joy, you also experienced guilt. And that the guilt won every single time. So you never got to see, would this go anywhere? Do I want to be with this person? There was this voice of your mother and, and this thought about her being so upset with you and somehow betraying her, leaving her, abandoning her. And it wasn't until you actually moved out that you were able to say, I want to have a boyfriend. I'm going to go forward with this. I'm sure that you're right. I think it probably did have 
something to do with it. And and also one of the things I will say is I just felt very ashamed of like my body, like I have a complex with my legs being big. So maybe that and then the guilt too, I never thought, or the, the fear of the reaction of my mom, of my mom's reaction. You know what, Lauren, it's so much easier to acknowledge the feelings of I'm not good enough, my legs are too big, than to go to the other place, which is I'm really hurting my mother. Well, I never thought about that, Lori. To Lori and I, it seems very, very clear how powerful the messaging of your mom was over really from the age of 10 and on. To you, your role is to be her companion, is to be there for her. It, that messaging was so clear to you. And I knew it had something to do with my mom making me feel guilty, whether intentionally or not, but never so deeply that I, you know, I thought it was a lot of just self-shame. So this is giving me a lot to think about. I'm curious about the relationship that lasted four years. Four years is a good chunk of time. What happened there that the relationship didn't work out? We argued a lot. He lied just about little stupid things. And that would just, it would make me insane. You know, like silly stuff. Like, oh, I didn't put the the tomato in the refrigerator. Like, well, there was no one else here. Of course you did. You know, like things like that would just drive me up a wall. So, and then he lied about bigger things too. And he wasn't that smart. (laughs) At what point did you realize you you actually did not want to be with him? It sounds like pretty early on. Pretty early on. Yeah. I remember like, you know, like when I was alone, I'd be like, God, you know, like, give me a sign. You're like, should I be with him or shouldn't? And now I look back and say, well, if you're asking God all the time, then there's your sign. You know, you know, if there's that much doubt, then it's not the right relationship for you. And you stayed because you felt like this is the best I can get? Yeah. Yeah. When you had sex with him, that was your first time. What was that experience like for you? It was good. I really enjoyed it. Like, I always enjoyed having sex with him. After the next guy that I had sex with, I realized that I was really just having sex with the first boyfriend. And the next one, it was, you know, it was really good. It was making love and having sex at the same Mm. time. I was more emotional with the second person. Did some of the shame go away, meaning you stopped worrying about how somebody was going to see your body? I mean, I still felt a little embarrassed, but not to the point where I wasn't not going to not have sex. What happened to the guy that you felt emotionally connected to? I, I think I did something really stupid. We had been dating a few weeks, and before I met him, a girl that I worked with wanted to set me up with a friend of hers. So it took a few weeks to get that rolling. So I had been dating this guy who I really liked. I would say, like, fell in love with him. I think he had something to do that weekend or something. I went out with the guy who the girl that I work with set me up on and I told him about it and I probably shouldn't have and I think it probably hurt him and we hung out once or twice after that but it was very clear that he was not going to date me after that 
these days, are you on any dating apps? Are you open to dating? Where, where are you at these days in terms of that? Well, I'm open to dating. I am on Tinder right now, but I don't think it's the best website. It's a lot of people just looking for sex. And I've talked to a few people, but with these dating websites, you'll talk a few times and then the conversation ends. So I haven't been too serious about it. Do you feel you're holding back from really giving this a go? Maybe, maybe. I, I could be. I guess I'm afraid to get into a relationship in a sense, because then people ask you like about your history and it's embarrassing one to be 53 and single and no children. And, you know, when you mention that to people, male or female, they're always like shocked. And I've had people say, oh, gosh, what's wrong with you? This man said this to me this one day, and I started to tear up and I walked away and he came back a few weeks later and, you know, apologized, you know, said he was sorry. And then another man just said, boy, you must be a real pain in the ass <laughs> if you're still single. <laughs> um, That's a little bit like the people who said to you, oh, your sister's so pretty. How do you feel in her shadow? It's really unfortunate that those things were said to you. And what I think about when you say, well, I'm just on Tinder, which is sort of a more, more of a hookup site. Sure, people find relationships on it. But as Guy said, it doesn't sound like you're trying that hard. And that when you did find that guy that you say you were falling in love with, you went on that other date anyway and then told him about it, knowing that it probably wouldn't go over well. So there's this element of even though you want this very badly, you find ways to sabotage it. And I think that if you and your mom are both lonely, you have that in common, that there's a connection between you. Even if you're living separately, you're both these women who are lonely and unpartnered. But if you become less lonely, then she really is alone in her loneliness. So, Lori, actually, my mom passed away like 10 years ago. Okay. But I think that there might have been a time, and maybe even you're still carrying this around, that there's still some sort of betrayal of her if you become less lonely. You lose that connection with her. But that was something the two of you both had together, was that loneliness. Nobody talked about it, but it was there. You didn't have a parent who said, I really want you to find connection. I really want you to have a full life. I want you to have friends and family and relationships and all of those things that you desire. It sounded like your mother was really not supportive of you branching out and having a social life. Who are your friends now in terms of, do you have close friends? Do you have friends who know your quote unquote secret? Do you have friends who you talk to about wanting to find a partner? Do you have friends who really know you? I have two good friends. Um, I have more friends than that, but two, but two, I guess, pretty close friends. As far as I'm knowing my secret, not completely. No, they don't know. Like I didn't date until I was very old and that I didn't lose my virginity until I was old. I've just kind of like, oh yeah, I was older when I lost it and no one's pressed me. I do want to point out, Lauren, that this very strong link in your head between if I only lost my virginity at 32, it's a shameful thing, period, there are no 
extenuating circumstances is in your head. But you have, I grew up in a household in which the messaging I got was that sex was not something you did before you got married. And I really internalized that strongly. And my mom had some health issues and she needed a lot of assistance and companionship. And so I stayed with her until I was 30 out of loyalty and out of the really desire to care for her because she was really in need. Both of those stories are A, true, and B, paint you in a very positive light relationship-wise, right? This is somebody who's loyal. This is somebody who's kind. This is somebody who's compassionate. And those stories are truer than the one you've had in your head all these years of there was something wrong with me, I wasn't lovable enough, or I wasn't as pretty as my sister, and therefore that's why I wasn't dating, because that wasn't the issue. And I think that you really need to think strongly about changing the story in your head to one that's more accurate and that's much less self-damaging and self-flagellating and self-demeaning. And there is no shame in the real story. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if I keep telling myself I'm not good enough or pretty or not pretty enough, that I'm just going to keep living my life based on those thoughts. Some things that you guys were saying today, I really never really like really considered them very much. I didn't really relate it so much to my mom as strongly as you guys think that it is related to her and, and our relationship. We've talked a lot about your mom. I'm curious to know what you remember about your dad. You said you were nine when he died. What was your relationship like with your dad and what do you remember about him? It wasn't like a real close relationship. One thing I remember is my dad was angry a lot and my mom and dad argued a lot. Then when I was, at, when I was seven, they went to see a marriage counselor and how do you know that? I think maybe my grandmom told me. I'm not really sure because my mom really, my mom did not talk about this kind of stuff. But I know that's what they did because I remember one time, I think us kids, we waited in the car for them. So I guess maybe one of my brothers or sisters said it was like some kind of counseling or something. So after they went to counseling, the relationship was so much better. You know, like they held hands, they told each other, they loved the other in front of us and they went out on dates and we started doing more things as a family so then i didn't think of my dad as being so angry but that didn't last very long because then he got sick your mom must have been especially devastated that they had just gotten their marriage on track they were much closer and then your dad got sick i'm sure she was devastated but my mom just really didn't talk about her feelings, you know, never talked about missing him. My mom was really closed emotionally. How did your family handle it when he died? We were all really devastated. We were all very upset and I was very scared for years. Like as a teenager, I was just so scared that my mom or grandma was going to die because my grandmother lived with us. Did she live with you when your dad was alive or did she move in afterward? 
she lived with us ever since I could remember. I think she probably moved in maybe when, maybe before I was born, she lived with us. I mean, my grandmother, she was a dear. She was the sweetest thing. They broke the mold on her. How old were you when, when your grandmother died? I was 30, so it was so, right around the time that I moved out. But Lauren, you lived with your mom because you didn't want her to be alone and she needed the companionship. She had companionship. She had her mom. Why did she need you to be another third companion? She might not have, I guess, and I wanted to be there to you know, like just be there for my grandma. And she, by the way, wanted me to date and have friends. And my grandmother would say, oh, Lauren, I hope you find someone. You know, I want you to be happy. You know, go, get out. You need to get out and date. If you go out with friends, you know, you'll end up meeting someone. So after my grandmother was in a nursing home, then it was just me and my mom. And I guess I felt guilty <laughs> and, leaving, and leaving her alone. Yeah, because now she didn't have the companionship of her mom. And then she'd be losing you too. Yeah. One of the things that happens sometimes in families is that we look at our parents and we say, well, I want something different for myself. And yet there are so many reasons that we're not aware of that we end up creating exactly the same thing. And I think what you've done out of some kind of connection, loyalty is created something very similar, which is you are alone and you are lonely. Yeah. Yeah. I am alone. I, I've lived alone for 23 years now. I, I am lonely. Lauren, we have some advice for you. What we were thinking about was this very famous quote by Carl Jung, and it goes like this. Nothing has a stronger influence psychologically on their environment and especially on their children than the unlived life of the parent. And we were thinking about that in terms of your relationship with your mother and what a profound effect that has had on you and your life, whether you were aware of it or not. That again, the narrative that you had for yourself was, I'm not attractive enough, I'm unlovable, something's wrong with me. But there was a whole other narrative which had to do with your mother's concern about not having you as her companion. And we want to free you from those shackles because your mother's not here anymore. You're 53 years old, you're lonely, and you know what you want. And really nothing is holding you back at this point but you and the faulty narrative that you're carrying around. So with that in mind, we have two tasks for you. We would like you to write a letter that you think your grandmother would write to you because she's the one that saw what was going on. She's the one that said, oh, you should, I want you to get out there. I want you to date. I want you to have a life. We would like you to write a letter from her to you in which she acknowledges the deep sacrifice you made by being loyal to your mom, by being her companion. And we would like that letter to be one in which she describes to you how amazing she thought that was that you were taking such great care of her daughter. 
that she could die knowing that her daughter was well taken care of. But what she wants for you now, most of all, is for you to start taking care of you. And I don't want you to spare how amazing your grandmother thinks and thought what you did was, how amazing the sacrifice was, how loyal, how wonderful, how caring, how kind, and how noble. All right, so that's the first task. Okay. And then we have sort of a, a two-part second task. And the first part of it is that you have this narrative that something is damaged about you, something is wrong with you because you started dating and having sex later in life. And we want you to just entertain the idea that you started your adulthood at 31. That was when you left the house. You left the house at 31 with unprocessed grief about your father's death, with feelings of devotion toward your mom that took precedence over fidelity to your own needs, and also a very clear sense of knowing inside of yourself that you wanted an adult life. And indeed, within a year of leaving the house, you got a boyfriend, you started having sex, you were in a relationship, it wasn't the right relationship. Some of these myths that you were carrying around, like you're not attractive enough, or you're not good enough, or you're damaged goods because you were starting so late, were really shown not to be true. But every time you would confront that, you would sabotage something. Like there was that guy that you really liked, and you went on that other date, and then you told him about it. It seems like there was still that story that was holding you back. And we don't want that to happen anymore. So we want you to manage your dating life in a way that is not self-sabotaging. Right now, you are on a dating app called Tinder, which tends to be more hookup-oriented and maybe skews a little bit younger. But it's not enough. And you don't seem to be getting very far there. So what we want you to do is we want you to get on many dating apps. Knowing what you know now, which is, oh, actually, I had a pretty typical course of things. If you think about my beginning being at 31 when I moved out, things were pretty typical. I had some low self-esteem issues. I had some unprocessed grief. I had some blurred boundaries with my mother. So do a lot of people. And so instead of thinking of yourself as like this odd person, we want you to really embrace how typical you are if you look at it from a more accurate place. And then we want you to go on these dating apps. We want you to talk to your friends about how you really want to be set up and how you really want to meet someone. And we want you to not have these long back and forth with people because we want you to get on a Zoom date. And you're going to do that by asking someone out. And you're not going to ask out someone that you think, well, yeah, maybe that's the best I can get. You're going to ask out the person that you are most excited about. And we want you not to ask yourself the question, will he like me? But the question is, I want to see whether I'm going to like him. He's the one who's auditioning. Because you forget that there's another side to this equation, which is anybody who goes on a date with you is going to really wonder, is she going to like me? How do I look? Am I going to be interesting enough? Just like that guy who really liked you, he was so hurt that you went out with someone else. And it didn't occur to you that someone could feel that way about you. We want you to be the one that takes the initiative. Right. 
Because really, this is about you embracing your freedom. You have absolutely nothing to lose here. And you have so much to gain. And so we want you to commit to going on a Zoom date with someone that is interesting to you every two weeks. And we're giving you two weeks between dates because we don't just want you to pick someone because you have this deadline. So we want to hear your assessment of him. Like, here's what I liked about him. Here's what I didn't. Here's where I think, you know, we're a good fit. Here's where I think we're not. That's your focus. He's applying for the job. You're the one doing the hiring. So show up with the attitude that basically I'm looking to see if I like you. Yes. And if at the end of that one, the answers are yes, then you say, hey, let's do this again. Okay. And to get in touch with the fact that you're showing up to that date, not as somebody who doesn't have kids, as somebody who's child free. Not as somebody who was never married, as somebody who never had to go through a bitter divorce that made her resentful toward all men. In other words, you really need to understand that you are an amazing catch. Okay. Sounds good. Lauren Unleashed. <laughs> Great. All right. So we, uh, we look forward to hearing how it goes. Thank you both so much. I appreciate your time and your advice and your insight. You're, you're very welcome, Lauren. Well, off she goes. <laughs> Into the wild. I, I think she's going to do it. I think she's going to write the letter. I think she's going to sign up for some websites. But the thing I'm most interested in is that if she does go on a date, can she go with that attitude of I'm interviewing you, of I'm checking out to see if you're for me, not vice versa. That to me, if she can do that, that would be the most promising thing. I just keep thinking about the unlived life of the parent and how much that has affected her life. And I think it's gonna take her some time to unshackle herself. One thing I noticed when we were talking to her was that she's very much in her head. There wasn't a lot of emotion there. And also these were things that she was considering for the very first time, that nobody had ever talked to her about the connection between what went on with her relationship with her mother and what goes on in her relationships with men. And so hearing it for the first time, I think she could hear it on an intellectual level. But I don't know that she, it was really sinking in on an emotional level. And so I think that writing the letter from her grandmother maybe will help her to integrate some of that on a deeper level and hopefully prepare her a bit better for the dates that she goes on so that she stops sabotaging herself. One thing we see so often is people, no matter what age they are, if they haven't worked through something, they end up sabotaging themselves so that they create a situation where it makes it impossible to get the very thing that they want the most. You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. So we heard back from Lauren. We gave her a lot of dating-related assignments. Let's see how she did. This is Lauren. So I did the, I guess the homework, we can say. I wrote the letter to myself from my grandmother's point of view. And I guess I was kind of expecting to have, I don't know, had some kind of reaction. And I really didn't have much of a reaction, but I think it kind of prompted me to start thinking about my uncle who was at my mom's house a lot and I was close to. And he, I remember he commented a lot on, you know, saying that it was kind of unfair that my mom used me as a, uh, like, her companion um, is the term that he used. Um, and that, you know, he understood why I wanted to move out and he was happy that I did it and comforted me when I did. And my mom got mad at me. Then I remembered something that after my mom had passed away, he actually, he did thank me. And I, Guy, it's funny that you said to write a letter from my grandmother thanking me. I do remember him thanking me for taking care of his sister. He said, even though it's your mom, you know, I I really, you know, it was nice that, that she had you. She was lucky to have you to, to take care of her um, and that he appreciated it. Then as far as the dating, so I did sign up for two other dating websites. I've been talking to a number of guys. So right now I'm talking to someone and he seems like a really nice guy. We have similar interest in music. We get excited about the same music, but that's about as far as we've gone. I think we've had maybe three or four email exchanges So I haven't spoken with him yet over the phone or video, but I imagine that's going to come very soon. I think it was a good idea that you told me to to get on more serious websites so that I can kind of push myself and start dating. So anyway, I wanted to thank you guys for talking to me. It gave me a lot to think about. The first week after I spoke with you, it was pretty emotional for me. I was just thinking about a lot of things, and I've decided to go into therapy. I start this week, I think Tuesday, um, is my first appointment. 
hopefully it will help me with a, a number of the issues that I have. So again, thank you. I think when people first hear Lauren's response, they might think that grandmother thing didn't really work. But as therapists, we see so often that what people do with a conversation often leads them to some kind of growth or change, even if it's not exactly as we anticipate. And I think that's exactly what happened here. So she wrote the letter to her grandmother and she didn't have what felt to her like an emotional experience. But I think she did have an emotional experience because it brought to mind an emotional connection with her uncle and how her uncle was so supportive of her having a life and so appreciative of what she had done for his sister, her mother. And I think that's exactly what her grandmother did and said when she was alive too. It's funny because we chose the grandmother because we wanted her to see something through the eyes of a benevolent figure in her childhood. And she was like, oh, you know what? Maybe that's not the right benevolent figure. I'm just gonna think of my uncle who was another benevolent figure. So she did actually the assignment. She just did it through the different eyes than we suggested. But I think she was actually really on point with the assignment. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that she did what we asked about finding dating sites or apps that were more oriented toward what she's looking for, which is a serious relationship. And she did start conversing with people. And I hope that she will move it more quickly to let's have a video chat. But I think that she sounded really excited about the fact that there was this one guy with whom she had this potential connection with. And no matter what happens with him, I think it will give her more confidence moving forward to really embrace herself as this independent adult who is entitled to have a loving reciprocal relationship. And I think that even though her letter was about shame, ultimately, when you really examine the old story and you help to revise it with a more accurate current story, you free yourself from the shame and you can see yourself more clearly and you can see your situation more clearly and that liberates you so that you can move forward. And therapy should really help her with that. And so it's a really good move that she not only decided to go into therapy within a week, but actually scheduled an appointment and is beginning the process. Very glad to hear that. Next week, we'll get updates from last season's sessions to find out how our advice worked out a year later. The guy had said that he didn't think I understood how bad it had been. And then Lori actually later on said that oftentimes people are hesitant to confront those painful experiences because of what it might say about them. And I'll be honest, that was a really hard one. Hey, fellow travelers, if you're enjoying our podcast each week, don't forget to subscribe for free so that you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear Therapists by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, big or small, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Mike Johns, Josh Fisher, and Chris Childs. Our interns are Dorit Corwin and Silver Lifton. Special thanks to Allison Wright and to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. 
We can't wait to see you at next week's session. Dear Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.